Today on Blue 58, the Packers head into the 2020 season in the strange position of having defensive line be a strength. I know, it's weird for me too. What does that mean for the defense as a whole? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. I want to give another shout out to our podcast scholarship ongoing solicitation process. If you're interested in starting a Packers podcast, head to thepowersweep.com for full details on how you can potentially get your first year of doing all of that taken care of by us. We would love to help you get your show off the ground. We've got full details on how all that would work at thepowersweep.com, but I want to hear about your podcast pitch is the short version of that. So let me know and uh, we might be able to uh, help you get your show started. Sound good? Good. All right, Packers defensive line mentioned in the intro there that uh, this is kind of an odd feeling, but the Packers have defensive line as a strength for the first time in a while. Um, It's basically for Kenny Clark's entire career, really since he ascended to the starting lineup. So let's say conservatively 2018 to present, this is the first time where you don't have to say, but after Kenny Clark's name, when it comes to discussing the Packers' defensive line. You don't have to say the Packers have Kenny Clark, but beyond that, it's a, it's a bit of a question Clark or question mark, question Clark. Um, you don't have to say, yeah, they have Kenny Clark, but who is going to stop the run? Who's going to rush the passer in these situations? In theory, at least you head into 2022 with the deepest defensive line that we've seen in a while. You've got Kenny Clark, sure. You've got next to him, in some order, Dean Lowry, who's coming off a career year, albeit limited in some ways. You've got first-round pick Devontae Wyatt. You've got free agent acquisition Jaron Reed. And you've got a few carryovers from last year, as well as a couple other journeyman prospects that give you some real options on the defensive line. And it makes me wonder a little bit about their defensive front. For most of the Packers' time in the 3-4 defense, they've really been an outside linebacker-based front. The differences between 3-4 and 4-3 defenses are often exaggerated. But broadly speaking, I think you can say that a 3-4 defense is built to rush the passer from the outside linebacker position the edge rushers, while your 4-3 defenses are built just slightly differently. You're rushing from the defensive line. It's a semantic difference in terms of where your pass rushers are coming from, but there are some more functional differences there too. Stepping back from those semantic differences, that really means that the Packers have tried to put the bulk of their resources at outside linebacker. Clay Matthews, Nick Perry, functionally Julius Peppers, Zadaria Smith, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary. All the big draft picks, all the big money has gone towards those edge rushers, those pass rushers. Lately, there's been a little bit of a switch there because since the Packers made their big splash acquisitions in 2019 and brought Zadarius and Preston Smith over, drafted Rashawn Gary, They've tried to invest a little bit more in their defensive front, I think, and you've seen a little bit of a shift away from the edge towards more defensive line-based defense. They still obviously have quite a few resources tied up on the edge, but they're looking a little bit more old school 
than they have in a while. And again, most of these differences are semantic, but I think it is worth pulling on that thread a little bit. When Ken, or when Joe Barry came over as the Packers defensive coordinator, he talked about how he wanted to be a more penetrating one-gap defense as opposed to the two-gapping stuff that more traditional 3-4 defensive coordinators like Mike Pettin and Dom Capers like to do. And that is the traditional way that that those sorts of defenses operate traditionally, I guess, to repeat myself within the same same sentence, but that is traditionally how it goes. Your defensive line is there to soak up blocks so your edge rushers can get free and your, your inside linebackers can run behind them. Under Joe Barry, if you want your defensive line to be more that one-gap penetrating style, by definition, you're going to want to pour some resources in there because those are the guys that are causing havoc up front. And if you look at Joe Barry's kind of defensive history, you can see why he might want to build a defense that way anyway. Joe Barry got his start in the NFL in the Tampa 2. Learned under Monty Kiffin, the genius defensive coordinator, though he looked like a genius in a lot of ways because he had elite players like Warren Sapp up front. Um, that's where he, he cut his teeth as a defensive coordinator, as a defensive mind. He, he learned defenses as a 4-3 guy. Then he gets kind of some tutelage under, under the Wade Phillips tree. He gets his job in Washington because he can run that style of defense. Then he is over under Brandon Staley in Los Angeles, learning more the Fangio version of the 3-4. But their 3-4 defense, such as it is, involves a lot of penetrating one-gap stuff. And why wouldn't you if you've got a defensive lineman like Aaron Donald roaming free up front? Of course you're going to run stuff to get him free into the backfield. You're not going to have Aaron Donald sitting there and soaking up blocks so some, some linebacker can run around behind him and stop guys you know, once they're two yards downfield, no, you're going to have Aaron Donald go get the quarterback or go into the get, get in the backfield, whatever. The Packers have kind of taken that approach with Kenny Clark and now probably Devontae Wyatt. They want their defensive linemen getting up the field. Now they've got their strength on the defensive line. They have more depth on the defensive line than they do on the edge. And that, I think, dovetails really well with what they've tried to do under Joe Barry and kind of functionally over the last few years, even dating back to under Mike Pettin, because late in the Pettin era, he was going to a lot of heavier fronts too. If this all feels a little bit unstructured, I think that's kind of by design with this podcast, because there's a lot of different things going on with the defensive line. This also kind of dovetails with something we've talked about earlier with the Packers trying to maybe time a market shift a little bit. So, defenses and offenses and and really everything in the NFL is kind of cyclical. You go from one thing being in vogue on offense to defenses responding to offenses responding to that to defenses responding to that response and so on. And what have we seen for the bulk of the 21st century before or so far, not before, what have we seen throughout the bulk of the 20th, 21st century so far? Well, it's been a shift to more and more passing and more and more aerial offense. And offenses have gotten smaller and faster and less run-focused, so offensive lines are, are lighter and more athletic. Tight ends, you don't have the big dinosaur-blocking tight ends like Mercedes Lewis as much anymore. Uh, receivers, you know, you don't necessarily have to have the, the big physical guys like the Packers have favored over the years. 
offenses are smaller and, and lighter, and defenses have gotten smaller and lighter to counter that. But you've seen, I think, with the with the growth of these wide zone style offenses like the Packers, like the Shanahan tree offenses run, uh, like Sean McVay, a, a Shanahan tree guy if there ever was, was one, a running, there's a little bit of a shift back towards size. Even if you're just using F-backs like Josiah DeGuara, you're seeing a little bit more beef in the backfield, condensed formations, heavy personnel. How do you counter that? Defenses have to get bigger. What have the Packers done, especially in the first round this year? On defense, they've gotten bigger too. You don't have 290-something pound Dean Lowry as your main running mate for Kenny Clark anymore. You've got 300-plus pound Devontae Wyatt. You don't have a dime safety coming on to be your enforcer in, in you know dime safety situations next to Devondre Campbell. You've got Quay Walker, who is if nothing else, a super duper size safety. You know, he's a linebacker size guy who can run like a safety. The Packers are trying to get bigger. And as a result, defensive line, I think, ends up being a strength heading into this year. We'll talk about guys individually here in a second. I want to give a shout out to our Patreon supporters today. Today we're talking to and about Michael Strand, Justin Parker, and Sean Hunter. Very grateful for your support, each of you fine individuals. Thank you for joining our mission here at the Power Sweep to help everybody become smarter Packers fans and all that good stuff. If you'd like to help us continue this operation, I'd ask you to consider going to patreon.com slash thepowersweep and contributing any monthly amount there. It helps us keep things going. It help us, helps us do cool things like give people podcast scholarships and stuff like that. We appreciate your support an awful lot. So thank you to all of you who have considered doing that and done that over the years. It, it means a lot to me personally. Packers have de- 10 defensive linemen on the roster right now. Of those, I think eight are really worth spending some time on. If you're dividing guys like I am into players with low, medium, and high expectations, I've got eight guys that fall into those categories, two for whom I have no expectations. Those guys are Kyle Byers and Hawati Pudutau, both undrafted free agents, it's not that those guys are, are bad players. Um, it's just that the depth chart ahead of them is pretty stacked. They seem like practice squad guys at best. If I had to pick one of those two guys to make an impact this year, it would be Byers. It seems like he has a little bit more of a pedigree that would lend him to a successful NFL career. But really, if I'm you, and I guess me, as someone hosting a podcast about the defensive line, I really wouldn't spend a ton of time worrying about either of those two guys. Could be wrong. We'll see. First on our list, though, of guys I want to spend a little bit of time on is Jonathan Ford. We described him back in April, whenever the draft was, as a bit of an old school pick. Way back in the day. (laughs) Though not as far back in the day as you might think. Way back before scouting operations got a lot more sophisticated, let's put it that way. The draft was an even more inexact science than it is now, to put it mildly. Read back to things like, well... George Plimpton's paper lion ends with a discussion of the NFL draft. And they used to just do the draft straight through. They'd start and go however many rounds until they were done. Straight through the night. And um, it was taken a lot less seriously than it is now. Let's put it that way. But you'd have guys making draft picks from essentially media guides. And this Jonathan Ford pick reminds me of that. Hey, Anybody know anything about this Ford guy? I don't really know. He's big. 6'5-something, 330-something pounds. Big school, Miami. He's got to be pretty good, right? 
Other than that, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for me. And that's why my expectations for him are pretty low this year. It's hard to see a fit here for Jonathan Ford. He's not the athletic pass rusher type like uh, Devontae Wyatt. He's not even really the um, much of a run stuffer type either because he didn't he didn't do a whole lot of that at Miami either, or at, at Florida either. Excuse me. Um, but man, I, it, it's hard to just see the role for him in Green Bay. Wasn't a particularly good tester, and I'm trying to say that instead of he's a good athlete because all of these guys are are good athletes. Good athlete, bad athlete, athlete. Well, it's it's relative, isn't isn't it? I mean, he didn't test particularly well, but he wasn't productive in his con- college career. So expectations for him are, are going to be pretty low as a result. For for me, all he's got to do to meet expectations this year is make the team. But I'm predicting that he's not going to make the 53-man roster. He may stick around as a practice squad guy just because the Packers liked him enough to draft him, but I don't see it for him uh, in 2022 in Green Bay. Next up is Jack Heflin. You ever been to a party and wonder, how did I get invited here? This is a strange group of people. I'm not really sure I belong here. That seems like how Jeff, Jack Heflin went through the 2021 season. He was on the Packers roster or practice squad all season, but only active for four games. And in those four games, he only played 17 snaps. Now, obviously, I don't know what it's like to be in that position, but there's got to be some kind of amount of, what am I even doing here? Like, are you going to play me or not play me? Are you going to have me on the 53 or the practice squad? What is it? What gives? Uh, Because they moved him around a lot, but they never really moved him onto the field. It was basically a red shirt year. So if I'm Jack Heflin, I'm wondering, what am I doing here? But the Packers wanted him back. And now he heads into 2022, having a, a year of NFL football under his belt but facing some depth chart issues ahead of him. And as a result, low expectations for 2022. Clearly the Packers like him, but it's going to be a question of opportunities uh, for Mr. Heflin. So how can he meet our expectations this year? I think he's got to find a way to stick around again. And from there, it's just a waiting game. Someone in front of you gets injured. The Packers want a bit of a different look than whoever's ahead of you can provide. Maybe you get a shot. I think he's not going to make the 53 just because of uh, uh, the roster numbers issues. But I do think he's going to be back on the practice squad this year. I predict that he will be on the practice squad at least for part of the season again this year. Beyond that, who can really say? But I think he sticks around. Chris Slayton is almost the anti-Heflin. Uh, while Jack Heflin was a undrafted free agent last year, Slayton was drafted but is now a journeyman on his sixth NFL team. He hasn't really found a home, but he's bounced around quite a bit. He may be kind of the anti-Heflin in that he's gotten invites to a bunch of little parties, a bunch of different parties to continue that metaphor, but he hasn't really stuck around. So I think we have to have pretty low expectations, again, because of the depth chart ahead of him. He reminds me a lot of, well, something the Packers have done a lot over the past couple years. They have churned through just about every season, uh, a couple, two, three different veteran defensive linemen just looking for a fit. Some names over the past couple of seasons. Damon Harrison, Anthony Rush, Fidal Brown, Billy Wynn, Abdullah Anderson, Ricky Jean-Francois. None of those guys really got significant playing time, but the Packers were interested in having all of them around. 
that seems like Slayton. Hey, let's look and see what he can give us just in a, in a brief look. Like Jack Heflin, he's just going to have to wait for an opportunity. There are some jobs available, but they'll be small. But if he can stick around and make his way to the 53-man roster a couple times, hey, it's a couple of game checks. Get him while he can. I will predict that I think he's going to stick around in some form because the Packers seem to have gone out of their way to get him. But he's going to play fewer than snaps, fewer than 30 snaps, if he ever makes it to the 53-man roster at all. Just another veteran body churn. Moving up towards moderate expectations, let's talk about Jaron Reed for a second. He's like the plus version of Christian or Chris, Chris Slayton. Excuse me. Less a journeyman than Slayton has been so far, but still a journeyman on his third NFL team. But he's been pretty good at times as well, to be fair. Ten and a half sacks in one season for the Seattle Seahawks, although that's not a comprehensive measure of quality. He is still pretty darn it's still pretty darn good to get double-digit sacks in the NFL. The Packers clearly like him, and they're paying him like he's going to be on the roster this year. But what is his role? I think that factors into expectations a lot. That's why I can't go any higher than moderate for him. I would think he's going to end up being like probably what Montrevious Adams was supposed to be. In theory, he's a run-stopping guy, but really he's probably going to end up being more of a pass rusher, a big-bodied pass rusher, put it that way. Adams never really settled into that role. Maybe Reed can. I think his 2022 comes down to pass rush. He needs to show that he can be a consistent contributor in that area. And if he can be, I'd say meets expectations for him. I think he is going to end up on the roster. I think he's going to play quite a bit. And he'll probably have a couple splash plays in there too. I think more than two sacks for Reed in 2022, but less than five. Small role, I think. On that more run-stopping end of things is... 2021 fifth round pick TJ Slayton. I think looking at his career to date in Green Bay, if he ended up being a little bit disappointed in his rookie season, given the hype, I think that's okay. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I think it's okay to feel a little bit disappointed because a lot of people were projecting some pretty big things onto TJ Slayton. And if I misled you on expectations for him last season, I'm sorry about that. I don't even really recall what I said about him last year, but i there were, were some some exciting things about his game, but he never really blossomed into that player, at least not yet. But if you're just looking at a, a straight no-expectations evaluation of Slayton, I think you could look at his rookie season as a success because defensive line does take some time. It takes some seasoning to be a, a NFL defensive lineman. It was really good for him that he was active for 17 games. So take a step forward in 2022. I'm not sure how big his role is, and that's why I've got pretty moderate expectations for him too. He's got quite a few guys ahead of him on the depth chart. For sure, Kenny Clark, Devontae Wyatt, and Dean Lowry. Depending on how many snaps Jaron Reed gets or what situations they want to use him in, he could sap a few snaps away from Slayton too. He's really just got to show a step forward to meet expectations this year. I don't really know what that means. It's kind of a feel thing, and I realize that's kind of squishy. But I think that there is a chance that he's going to get a chance to to shine in that role. I think um, between him and Jaron Reed, I'd probably give him the first crack at, at a role behind the, the big three defensive linemen and then see how things sort out from there. Because Reed is probably more a known quantity than – or commodity. Quantity, commodity, doesn't really matter – than Slayton is, but 
um, I think Slayton probably has more upside at this point in his NFL career. So figure out what you've got with the upside guy and then fall back on the known quantity if you have to. I think he'll build in terms of production a little bit on where he was last year. One and a half or more sacks. He had one last year and three plus tackles for loss are my predictions for Slayton in 2022. The big three defensive linemen in order of lower to higher expectations are Dean Lowry, Devontae Wyatt, and Kenny Clark. This should be no surprise to anybody. Lowry had probably his best year of his career last season. Had a career high in sacks, a career high in quarterback hits, and tied a career high in tackles for loss. He was still a liability at times against the run. But if you're having Dean Lowry take on a big role as a run defender, that is a you problem, not so much a Dean Lowry problem. Expectations, though, I think have to be high for Dean Lowry. The Packers could have saved a decent chunk of change by cutting him, but they didn't. And as we've hammered, I think, over this offseason, contracts are about future performance. They think that Lowry can do that again because they're trying to pay him to do that again. So to meet expectations, I think he has to be approximately the player he was in 2021. I will predict that he's not going to match those career highs that he set last year. He will have fewer than five sacks and fewer than nine quarterback hits. But I think he's still going to have a pretty good season. I would expect him to meet expectations again this year. I I think he's still going to have a good season. Statistically, it might look a little bit different just because I think his snaps are going to be a little bit different in 2021. I still think he can be a useful player for the Packers, though. Devontae Wyatt. Clearly, I think the best Packers defensive line prospect since Kenny Clark. Still a prospect at this point, though. But given what the Packers invested to get him, an entire first-round pick, I think your expectations have to be pretty high. He has terrific physical attributes, came from a blue-chip program in Georgia, was a key contributor for them in a national championship run. How could your expectations be anything but high, even for a rookie, even at a position that takes a little bit of getting used to at the NFL level? He has to look the part to meet expectations. Statistically, who knows what that could look like for him this year. I have some predictions, but it's, again, more a feel thing here. He's got to look like he belongs pretty much from day one. There is really no settling in period for him. Got to hit the ground running, and he's got to be a force from day one. And I think he can do it. I think he will be somewhat of a statistical contributor. I'm not expecting big stats from him, but solid ones. More than three sacks, but less than seven. Five or more tackles for loss, five-plus quarterback hits for Devontae Wyatt. Next to Kenny Clark, who's probably going to stuff the stat sheet more than that this year, I think that's a pretty good rookie season. And let's talk about Kenny Clark. It's hard to talk about expectations for guys like him. He reminds me a little bit of Aaron Jones from the last episode. He's pretty much had everything but team success. The numbers haven't necessarily been there, but you're not looking for big numbers from a defensive tackle like Kenny Clark. He's been a pro bowler. He's got a big contract. He's really had everything but the ultimate team success. Last year, I thought he was awesome. He says it could have been better. Tend to agree with that. He had some missed sacks. Nobody's perfect. Expectations, though, pretty high. I would say he's probably the Packers' best defensive player right now. It's him, Jair Alexander, Rashawn Gary, or Devondre Campbell. Depending on the week, depending on the matchup, one of those four could lay claim. He feels like the a bit of the he's not that old so it's hard to say this but he seems like the the gray beard sort of leader on the Packers defense right now the tone setter the guy 
who's going to be at the heart of it all. And I think he's got to play like it. You could argue that a guy like Devondre Campbell, even maybe Preston Smith, could be that guy. But I think it's Kenny Clark, the big man at the center of the defensive line, the real difference maker in that group, the guy of those four that I mentioned who's been here the longest. Really, top of my head, it's either him or Dean Lowry, uh, longest tenured Packers defensive player, probably. I may be wrong on that. I'd have to look it up for sure. But he's certainly the longest tenured one who's a real difference maker, even if Lowry's been there slightly longer. Maybe Lowry was 2016. doesn't really matter, though. Um, he's right up there. He is the elder state, statesman on that defense, even if there are guys that are older than him. He's been at the center of it all for the longest. So to meet expectations, it can't be stats. It can't be Pro Bowl votes. It can't be things like that. He's got to look like the best defensive player the Packers have. Maybe that's an easy bar for him to clear. He certainly cleared that in the past. But consistently, wire-to-wire dominance is what you need from him, what you're looking for. It's got to feel dominant. And I think he's going to get an opportunity to do it this year with the talent around him on the defensive line. So I think he sets a career high in sacks this year. He converts on some of those missed opportunities. Six or more for him. More than six sacks, I'll say. I also think he'll hit double digits in quarterback hits, so 10 plus, and I think he's going to make the Pro Bowl again this year, or whatever the equivalent is. So there's your defensive line. As you can see, we're running a little bit long already, so I've decided to bump our discussion of uh, the games that change the game chapter four till next week. We'll do two chapters next week. In the meantime, though, that's all I've got for you on this episode. Thank you for listening in. One small correction, I believe I, I jumbled up... Um, Jonathan Ford's college is there. He's a Miami guy, not a Florida guy. I kind of equivocated there. Miami for Jonathan Ford. Um, I do appreciate you listening in, those errors included or not. Uh, it means a lot to me, everybody who downloads this show, and I appreciate everybody who takes the time to download it. I would uh, appreciate it even more if you would share it with someone you think would enjoy it too. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.